everyone. Glad you're here today. How was that extra hour of sleep this morning? Yeah, you got to love that. Um, I got up, looked at my phone, and got this message. It said, I expect this week's sermon to be better than usual. You got a whole extra hour to work on it last night. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. My name is Kelly. I'm one of the ministers here, and it's a, a blessing for me to be able to share from God's Word this morning. Before we get into our lesson, though, I'd like to invite Greg to come up. And Greg is going to tell you about an exciting way that we can be people who find hope and live with purpose and share that with our neighbors. So, Greg. Thank you very much, Kelly, and good morning, everybody. So glad you all are here. Uh, our teenagers are going to begin helping us out here just cards to you, and you're going to see on these cards, yeah, go ahead, like, as in, yeah, as in, go, it's your time, that's your cue, thank you, uh, they're going to be coming upstairs as well into the balcony, but the cards that they are passing out serve a couple of purposes, uh, one is an invitation, it just says, join me at church on one side, and the church's contact information is there along with our mission statement to be a place where people can find hope and live with purpose. On the back side, we have the three movements that we ask people to participate in as they become part of this church family to meet up, which is the season that we're in right now, to plug in, and then to live with purpose. So you're going to notice that there's a blank space on the back that just says contact information. Underneath that, there's a blank space, and we want to be able to do two things with that. A, we want you to be able to give someone your contact information, or we want you to be able to get someone's contact information. So it's left blank on purpose. And then when they do choose to come and visit our church, we'd love to ask you to meet them, to engage with them, to take them to your Bible class, to invite them to your small group, to invite them to a luncheon like the small group luncheon that we're having today. We want to be a church that doesn't just talk about inviting people to find hope and live with purpose, but to be a church where people can find hope and can live with purpose. We're going to keep the Welcome Center stocked with these cards. We want you to feel free to drop by and get them and pass them out all over town, okay? And uh, we'll see what the Lord does as we plant these seeds. So thanks. It's uh, something that I've seen in ministry is that if you're praying for God to open up doors of opportunity... It's amazing how your eyes will see those opportunities when they come your way. And so having these cards in your wallet, in your purse, uh, in your car, you never know how God's going to put you in a situation where you will be able to share that with someone. So we're excited to hear stories about that. Uh, to start our lesson today, I decided to do something that I'm, I'm excited about. I grew up in the home of the master storyteller. In fact, I was shaped by the stories that I heard my dad tell us just around the dinner table, in church when we heard him preach, in class when we heard him teach. And so I remember a story that he told that meant a lot to me when I was younger. And so I would like for him to come up right now and to share that story kind of in a way of introduction to our lesson that we're going to be uh, sharing this morning. So 
Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce to you my dad, master storyteller, Bob Davidson. I mean, he put the pressure on me. 1952, before many of you discovered America, I was working with the East Side Church of Christ, 313 East 83rd, Manhattan, New York City. I just got out of college. I was trying my best to share the gospel with the people on the East Side. The gospel is powerful. We were able to baptize, convert some people. One lady that we converted started getting real lazy or maybe careless about a church attendance. I felt like it was my responsibility to help her out. I went by her apartment and I said, Lady, I said, sister, <laughs> we've been missing you, and I feel like you've been missing us too. We all need Christian fellowship. The early Christians continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. We need each other. I need your encouragement. You need my encouragement. We all need our encouraging parts. I said, I sure would like for you to come to church tomorrow morning. It would be so good for us, and it'd be good for you too. I never will forget her answer. She said, well, Brother Davidson, I just want to be straight up with you. In the morning, when we wake up in our household, if the weather is real beautiful, the sun's shining, the clouds are drifting by the blue skies, we're going to go to Jones Beach and have a picnic and enjoy the day. And I've been to Jones Beach, and it's a beautiful place. But she said to me, on the other hand, if we wake up and it's raining, and it's kind of cloudy, and the weather's real bad, We won't make it to church. Then she said, if we wake up in the morning and it's not very good, the weather's not very good, it's not sunshine, not shining, and it's not raining, we'll be at church. Well, I prayed for bad weather. <laughs> but not real bad weather, <laughs> mediocre weather. 
And so Jesus wants us to put first the kingdom of heaven. And we need to always put the Lord first in our lives. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I think a lot of us, it's easy for us to drift into comfortable Christianity and a casual faith. But as we've been studying the scriptures, going through uh, Colossians so far this fall, and as we move into our next study that we're beginning today, we're going to be confronted with the idea that God's not calling us to a comfortable faith, to easy Christianity. What's the most difficult thing that you have ever done? Maybe physically, what's the the greatest physical challenge you've ever met? What about spiritually? What's the most spiritual, the, the most difficult spiritual challenge that you have ever had? A time that you felt that God was calling you to do something that you really didn't want to do? Maybe it was a call to trust when it seemed like everything was going wrong. Or maybe it was a time where God was calling on you to endure when you wanted to give up more than anything else. Or perhaps it was a time that you chose to believe, you chose to have faith, even when nothing seemed to make sense. Or perhaps it was when you you were challenged to love, to love that person that was totally different from you, that person that stood for everything that you thought was wrong and that you rejected. Or perhaps it was a time that you were called to forgive someone who deeply wounded you. You see, the gospel call is a call to stretch us, a call to challenge us to deeper faith. And, and in our study this fall, as we're, we're going over this, this idea of meet up, we're, we're being called into a deeper walk with our Savior. And the, the Word of God is stretching us. It's making us feel uncomfortable. And we're going to really enter into that when we go into our study that we start today with the book of Philemon. We've just finished this uh, study of Colossians, and we've learned that because of the hope that we have in the resurrected Lord, in our resurrected Jesus, we're continually being transformed more and more into God's glory, and that's changing us. It's changing us on the inside so that we can live in a way that reflects that glory. I, I loved what Greg said last week as we wrapped up our study of Colossians. He said, people full of grace are full of life. And that's what we are. And, and we want to be a community of, of, of believers who find hope and live with purpose. And if you're a visitor, we would love to invite you to walk with us as we live into that goal. But as we start this book, study of the book of Philemon, we need to go back to the beginning, where we started back last September as we started the book of Colossians. And we, we remember that there was this man named Epaphras. Epaphras lived in Colossae, but he went to Ephesus for some reason. And while he was in Ephesus, 
he became a believer. Paul led him to Christ. And so Epaphras then goes back to Colossae and he plants a new church. But it wasn't long before there were people who came into that church with a new teaching. A teaching that said that Jesus wasn't enough. That you had to have Jesus, yes. The teachings of Jesus, yes. But you still needed more than that to really earn God's favor. And this really troubled Epaphras. And so Epaphras decided to go to spend some time with Paul, to get Paul's input on what he should do. Now we think at this time that Paul was in uh, house arrest, in prison, in chains in the city of Rome. Some scholars would say other places, but I kind of think it was probably Rome that, th that Paul was there in, in house arrest. And so Epaphras travels all the way to Rome to visit with Paul. Paul hears this, and Paul sits down, and he writes a letter to the church at Colossae. And it's the letter that we've been studying, known as Colossians. But Paul also writes another letter. Another letter that he was going to send back with, with a, a fellow worker named Tychicus and someone named Onesimus. And Paul gave these two letters to these two brothers, and these brothers took these letters with them back to the church at Colossae. When they got to Colossae, the word got out, and the church gathered, probably in the home of a believer. The church gathered. They were excited. They had news from Paul. They had news from Epaphras that they hadn't heard from in a long time. And when the church gathered, it was probably Tychicus that got up and he read the church, read to the church this letter that Paul had sent to the church at Colossae. It was a beautiful, beautiful word that talked about the supremacy of Christ Jesus. He talked about how Christ existed before anything and that Christ is supreme over all creation. He talked about how Christ was the head of the church, which is his body, that Christ ruled over all. And then because of this, in this letter to Colossae, he said that when we really realize this, when we're following Jesus in this way, it's going to change the way that we think. We're going to think in heavenly terms. We're going to look at, at things with heavenly priorities as opposed to earthly priorities. And it impacts who we are, the way we see ourselves. It impacts the way that we see others. It impacts the way that we, we have relationships with those that are fellow believers as well as those who are outsiders. He says that because of this, we will no longer label people and put them into groups. He says, in this new life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, if you're barbaric or, barbaric, or if you're civilized, if you're slave or you're free. And then he says, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. You see, when we commit to follow Christ, it changes everything. It changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way that we see others. 
the way that we treat outsiders. Because Christ is all and Christ is in all. And if we really understand that, there's no room for comfortable Christianity. Just, there's no room for casual commitment. But Paul sent two letters to that church that day. After he finished reading Colossians with those words still fresh in the ears of, the, of those who had gathered that night, he pulls another letter out and he walks over to one of the very prominent members. Maybe they were even in his home. And he stands before this brother named Philemon. And he reads this letter. You see, it's a short letter. It's, it's kind of what we would call a postcard. Just 25 verses. In, in the original language, it was only 335 words. It's the letter of Philemon. And so let's imagine that we were there, maybe even imagine that we're Philemon, as Paul writes and reads to us. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner, for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Apia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. Most scholars think that Apia and Archippus were Philemon's wife and son, and he's writing to their household. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That's why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could, I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while I was here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. And I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I was in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me, 
Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. And then I can just picture Paul grabbing the the quill, grabbing the pen, the writing instrument from the scribe's hand who had been writing this down. And, And Paul writing this himself, he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. And I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So here we have this very personal letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. It's about his slave. It's about his slave Onesimus. And Onesimus was there with Philemon probably had seen the Christians gather uh, many times in Philemon's home, but for some reason Onesimus decided he wanted his freedom, and so he left Philemon. Probably on his way out, he grabbed some money or something of value that he used to fund his trip. And he went to Rome, and he went to the big city because in the big city he could blend in. He, he would be able to hide there and not be noticed as a runaway slave like he would in smaller towns and smaller communities. But something happened, and we don't really know how it happened. It was the sovereign will of God that somehow Onesimus came into contact with the Apostle Paul. And Onesimus became a believer. Onesimus became a brother in Christ, and he began to serve Paul there in prison. But Paul knew that Onesimus could never be free, truly free, if he carried with him this burden of the wrong that he had committed back there in Colossae. And Onesimus realized that he needed to go back and make things right as well. And so this is the letter that Tychicus and Onesimus brought back to Philemon. And I don't know what happened that night when when it was read to Philemon. I can kind of imagine in my mind that probably Onesimus was off in the corner. And I imagine him with a hoodie on, something like that, where his face could be in the shadows, where he wouldn't be recognized until after Philemon had read this letter from Paul. And I don't know what happened in the moments that followed, but it must have been very powerful. You see, the letter to Philemon is a short letter, but it's also a challenging letter. Because in this letter, 
Paul is having to do something that's probably very risky and difficult for him in putting Onesimus into a difficult situation. And he's asking something very uncomfortable with Paul, with, uh, with Philemon as well. It's a challenging letter to read, but it's also another thing as well. And I feel like we've got to talk about this before we enter into this study of Philemon. It's this elephant in the room, so to speak. It's this word slavery. You see, in Philemon, the right or wrong nature of slavery is not discussed. It's not something that Paul addresses in this letter. And from my vantage point, here where I stand in history, looking back at the blatant and dehumanizing evil that we see in slavery and the impact that it's had on our country and our world, I just wish that Paul had come in this letter with a loud condemnation of slavery. And all of us, when we, we, we rightly recoil, when we hear the word slavery as anything other than unmitigated evil. And it's also even amplified more when we realize that, that Christians in the past have actually justified slavery by using the Bible and by using this letter that we're studying this month called Philemon. People have said, well, if Paul didn't work to overthrow the practice of slavery, why should we? And so Philemon is controversial because of the way that it's been used by Christians in the past who've advocated for white supremacy and slavery based on biblical teaching. Well, you see, if you do a re some research, it's not going to be hard for you to find old sermons that are recorded even still today that were preached in churches justifying this practice of slavery because of the letter Philemon. One South Carolina uh, church leader in South Carolina wrote in 1823, all the sophistry in the world cannot get rid of this decisive example. Christianity robs no man of his rights, and Onesimus was the property of his master under the laws of his country, which must be obeyed if not contrary to the laws of God. And he went so far as to claim that Philemon clearly sanctioned the fugitive slave law there in that state because this letter proved from the Bible that slaves could not be taken or detained from their master without their master's consent. And so I've been wrestling with this for several weeks as I've been preparing for this month's study. How do we make sense of all of this? Well, some commentators have said that the... That the the, the practice of slavery in the first century in the Roman culture was way different than the practice that we had here in the transatlantic slave trade. But that, while that may make sense, it still doesn't satisfy me in a way that I, that I feel like there's this system 
where we as human beings owned other human beings. So here are some of my thoughts, just real briefly. First of all, I've realized that interpreting the Scripture using proof text is very dangerous and damaging because we can pick and choose verses to support what we already believe and make it sound like that's what the Bible says clearly. It allows us to confidently say that Paul endorses slavery without us having to really wrestle with the meaning that... of that Paul's plea to this letter in this letter to Philemon where he says to Philemon receive Onesimus back no longer as a slave but as a brother I've also realized that that I was reading this from 21st century American perspective that Paul guiding guided by the Holy Spirit, was writing a manuscript that would be read in the first century, Roman culture. But it would also be relevant for all Christians at all times. The reality is is that we as Christians here in America are very blessed because we have a voice, we have a vote. We can actually participate in the forming of laws that, that we adopt as a society. What a blessing it is to be here in America. And while I would have liked for Paul to come out with commands to change unjust laws, it would have been useless for Philemon in Colossae. It would have been useless for him to lead revolts, for him to work to change the laws, because he would have no power. Nor would many of the Christians who read Philemon today in their country's where they are oppressed and have no voice in the laws of their land as well. You see, Paul and Jesus were both more concerned with changing the hearts of people than the laws of the land. Heart generation, more than the creation of enforcement of society's laws, was their goal. And so if you want to dismantle, dismantle this, this, system, this system of slavery, I think that Paul and Jesus spoke to the heart. And that was what started this, this chain of events which has, has grown into where we are today. You see, Jesus talked about the mustard seed when he talked about the kingdom of God. And, and this mustard seed was really small. This kingdom of God, it starts in your heart. And then it, and it grows and it becomes something that you, you see affecting your household, your marriage, your, your relationship with your family and, and your children. And then it grows into your neighborhood and your community. And then it grows into something much greater and it can influence society as a whole. If you want to dismantle a system of slavery, you've got to start with the heart. But what else have I realized? I've also realized that slavery is not something that existed just back then, another time and another place. Slavery still exists in our world today. Slavery has been taken over by a different form. It's gone underground. We call it trafficking 
today, but it's still slavery. And it's grown to a a huge business. And, And God's people around the world need to stand up and do what we can to fight back against this evil of slavery. But it's not just something that's over there in another place. It's also here in our neighborhood as well, even locally. I'd like for you to watch this brief little video of of, uh, local ministry that's fighting slavery here in our community. Not in my city. I love that. So, Rebecca, if someone wanted to be involved in local ministry, what would, what would you suggest that they could do? Um, I want to be sure and say the words that the Lord gave me this morning. So I wrote them down. <laughs> a Homeland Security agent who worked, for, worked to free a young woman who was caught in slavery here in Bryan College Station when we first moved here, said, unless Christians and churches become involved in standing against sex trafficking and slavery, it will continue to grow. We, the government, cannot begin to solve it without God. Unbound is a local ministry that needs for us to volunteer, support, and pray. The second Friday of every month at the Antioch Church Building, from 7 to 8 is a prayer time that is specifically for Unbound. March 26, 2020 is a banquet of support for Unbound, and it is called A Night of Hope. We are working here um, at AM to, uh, to have the ministry of Unbound to come and give us information as well as training sometime in the future. Part of the way we can stand together as Christians in our towns of Bryan College Station is to come together and pray together for our towns and for all of Brazos County. Once a month, all churches are invited to the Save Our Streets building this Tuesday night. Please come and join us for this prayer, for this prayer time at 7. There are children's programs that are furnished, And this is an opportunity for us to ask the Lord to really involve us in all of the ministries in Brazos County that serve the kingdom. Mm. Thanks. And Ben, you work with our benevolence ministry, and and, uh, you just recently changed the name of the benevolence ministry. Can you tell us about that and how someone might be able to be on the front lines in our community of showing God's love? 
Okay, we, we changed the name to Upside Down the Carrier. We've come to appreciate that if we're going to have real impact, we do it person by person and situation by situation. It's not our traditional vision of slavery, but we have probably thousands of people in our community who are trapped by their financial situation. Mm. They can't pay their rent, their utilities, and eat and take care of, of a medical emergency. The number of inquiries to this congregation for help is ballooning mm. because our visibility as a group of people who cares is growing. Mm. But we but we need more help mm. <laughs> because Caring is relationship by relationship. We place a priority in the Upside Down Caring Ministry to people in this congregation who are seeking to help others in need. Mm -hmm. And that's growing. Uh, so we're inviting you to participate in Upside Down Caring mm -hmm. that takes care of one another mm -hmm. and reaches out to the community. Uh, ways to help. I'd love to talk with you. Uh, you can text me or phone me. Use CCB for that, I mm -hmm. guess. Uh, and our next meeting of the Upside Down Caring Ministries is the third Wednesday of the month at 5.30 here. Mm -hmm. And so, I guess November 19th, about. Mm -hmm. It's a Wednesday evening. Come early, 5.30, and meet with us and find out what we're doing and what we need to be doing. Great. Thank you so much for letting us know, and I hope that everyone can find ways that they can be involved on the front lines in helping in this way. So thank you. So Unbound is a ministry here. Also, if you're a student at A&M, the International Justice Mission, it's a, it's a student organization, and it's a way that you can be involved in this effort, not just around the world, but also locally as well. All of us need to be part of this to change our society, to change our community because of the change that we have had God make in our own life. But lastly, the, the letter of Philemon is not just a short or a challenging or a controversial letter. It's also a personal letter. And, and I'd like for us to close with this. Imagine you standing there and Tychicus comes and he reads the letter that Paul has written to you. What would you as Philemon do? How would you respond? Well, really, I think this is the way we should read all of the scriptures, that we need to, to, to uh, realize that God is speaking to us personally, that this is a personal message to you and to me, and that God is going to continue to challenge us to greater commitment and a deeper spiritual depth. You know, we're not called to convenient Christianity. We're not called to a comfortable faith. And so what is God speaking into your heart right now? You know, this is a beautiful picture of the gospel here in the letter of Philemon because, because Paul writes, says, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. And this is exactly what Jesus does for us. As we stand before the Father, 
Jesus looks up to the Father and says, if he has wronged you or done anything to you or owes you anything, charge it to me. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. It may be that you need to be baptized today. It may be that you need to begin recommitting your faith and walking closer to, to our Lord. Maybe that you would like to have prayers. But we're going to encourage each other right now for the time of singing as we close this time of study. Let's stand together and sing praise to our God.